Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, pleasure to be here, Wendy. Thank you. So why don't you tell to the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into the health field? How did you come to specialize in genetics? Well, I'm a naturopathic physician. And as a naturopathic physician, we, we really enjoy looking for root cause and identifying it and restoring function to the body. And when I had patients come in with various different conditions, you know, I would say, okay, well, these conditions are caused by this function, and then I would give them the same nutrients or protocol as other patients, and they would, when some of them wouldn't respond. And then, and then I said, okay, well, there must be some genetic component to this. And then one day, I had this individual come in, uh, ask me about bipolar, and I googled it really fast, and I realized that there was genetics which interfered with folate with those who had bipolar, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then it was pregnancy. And I just kept going. I was like, okay, this is really important. Now it's starting to explain why some people are more sensitive to others and why some people can eat McDonald's or other fast food all day long and be totally fine. So it was really interesting when I saw that, one, that genes really control our symptoms and cause them and also make them go away. And two, that we can do something about it. And I got really excited. Yeah, because there's some people, there's a population I work with myself that want to detox. They know they need to detox, but they're so, so sick that they're not able to. And and we know that people that are, the more ill somebody is, the more their genetic pathways that are favorable to detox have been compromised or their genetics are, you know, they have um, you know, they're, they're positive for certain genetic pathways where they have compromised detoxification. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about how our genes interfere in detoxification? What are some of the, the signs? Like say, let's take PMS for instance. Um, what are some of the genetic pathways that promote PMS? Well, a big one is being able to modulate, uh, not modulate, but kind of process estrogen, right? So if, if women's estrogen levels are really high, then that can be a problem and contribute to PMS. And so we know that research supports it. Doctors treat it all the time. They support the liver. They support the microbiome to help process the estrogens. And they you know, do a lot of other things too. So there's a big gene with estrogen, and that has to do with what's called COMT. And COMT's job is to help break down one component of estrogen, not all of them. There's many genes for estrogen metabolism, but one of them is, is COMT. And if this gene is working slowly, then there can be estrogen levels that are sticking higher around for, for some women. And what can happen is when we start getting closer, not we, cause I'm not a woman, but when women start getting closer to uh, menstruating, right? Or that cycle, the estrogen levels will spike. And uh, the COMT's job has to deal with that. And if it can't deal with it, COMT's job is also not just to deal with estrogen, but also with dopamine and norepinephrine. So if a woman's estrogen is high and it can't get out because of the slower COMT and her norepinephrine levels are high, she's going to turn into a rage monster. And every month she sees this coming. Every month she's like, man, I don't, I don't want this to happen, but it does. And so... She feels that she's out of control. She's not her own person. So she tries to hide herself from other people. And that's not cool. Mm-hmm. And there's all these jokes about PMS, but man, it's not, it's no joke. You know, it's no joke. And so you got to be able to support these genes to move the estrogen so it can clear and detox through the body comfortably 
So the woman, even though her cycle is coming, does not turn into a rage monster. And in some months she can have PMS, in other months she doesn't. So it all depends on how well these genes are, are becoming fluid and functioning. Yes. And so the comp gene is responsible for um, helping to, uh, you know, process excess estrogens. So let's talk about any, some ways that estrogen sensitive cancers can be promoted mm. by certain pathways. Yeah. So estrogen sensitive cancers are, are huge, right? I mean, they're really, really big deal. Uh, and so there's a number of genes in this pathway. COMT is, is a big one. Uh, there's also cytochrome P450s that can move quickly. And there's also NQL1s, which are another set of genes in the estrogen pathway as well. Um, so, and then glutathione genes, and, and there's a whole bunch of them. Mm -hmm. um, but the one I really like to, to focus on is, well, there's two. There's glutathione genes, because there's certain estrogens that are really toxic to women. And these really toxic estrogens, what they do is they go around and they wreak havoc on the cell membranes and wherever there's that toxic estrogen, it's damaging cells that are around it. So if you're damaging a bunch of cells and they don't have the necessary tools to repair themselves, if you keep damaging them, they're going to become really sick and dysregulated. And eventually the body can't control it. They become cancerous. So you can have estrogen-sensitive cancers simply by having low glutathione levels. Yeah. So if your GST gene and your glutathione, uh, GS, GST gene and your GPX genes are not working very well, your glutathione levels low and your toxic estrogens accumulate. And you also have COMT, whose job is to methylate one component of this toxic estrogen and get it out of the body as well. So it's two really big ones right there that are really, really important. Yeah, and I think women that have these compromised genes or these dirty genes, they really have to be cognizant of xenoestrogens in our environment. Mm -hmm. So using products with phthalates and parabens that mimic estrogen and bind onto receptor sites in the body or drinking water out of plastic bottles or really avoiding perfumes, petroleum-based products that mimic estrogens in our bodies. Can you talk a little bit about those and how they interfere in our body's ability to, to deal with estrogens or the mimic? estrogens in our body yeah so these xenoestrogens I don't I haven't studied them hard enough to understand fully the exact mechanisms but I know that they can influence estrogen metabolism and either slow it down or increase the production of estrogens or they can be mimics and uh, also bind to receptors and block them from processing estrogen so there's there's many different mechanisms which these chemicals in our environment, can disrupt our own estrogen metabolism. And the, you're right, the more we can avoid them, the better off we are. And these things are everywhere. And, you know, I, I feel for women who are working at cash registers because I, you know, they're handling receipts all day and these receipts are lined with bisphenol A, which is a really, really potent xenoestrogen. And in fact, this BPA was supposed to be uh, used as a drug for women for hormone metabolism. Wow. And so what they, what they found was, oh, we can't do that because it's too strong and too powerful. So let's just put it in plastics. I mean, who'd have thought? So it went from a drug to sticking in plastic, but now we have plastic everywhere and it's still affecting our hormone levels and especially women. So if women are working at cash registers or handling 
loaded bisphenol A all day, their load of bisphenol A after that day is very, very high. And it's not just BPA. It's all the BP whatevers. Yeah. I mean, any type of plastic. So if you get BPA free, that's great. But if it, it's still plastic. Yeah. So don't be fooled that BPA is okay. It's not. It, you got to get rid of all plastics. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I feel bad for the women at cattle registers also because I don't want to touch the, the receipts because right. I know they're full of estrogenic substances in them. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about fatty liver. This is something that afflicts mm. millions of Americans. And let's talk about maybe some of the genetic reasons why people have fatty liver. Yeah, this is a big one. This is really big. And, you know, we, we have to understand first the premise, you know, genes are not static in us. So, you know, we talked about the glutathione genes. We talked about these estrogen genes and know that, yeah, you might be born with these genes that are slightly dirty and not able to work as fast as maybe your neighbor or your sibling. Right. So, but understand that you can influence them through your lifestyle, the choices that you make in your life. So that's, that's, the, that's the good thing. So don't forget that. Just because you, you might be struggling with PMS now doesn't mean you're destined to be the rest of your life. Even if you're born with these steroid genes, you can change it. Okay, I've done it. I'm sure Wendy has. Many people uh, fix this. So in terms of fatty liver, there are many, many genes which contribute to fatty liver. There's no one gene. And... Fatty liver is the, the fastest growing condition today. Number one, uh, corn syrup is a big one. Uh, corn syrup is a huge, huge issue. And if you look at the genetics of fatty liver, there's a number of them, but one in particular is in the folate pathway, and it's called MTHF-D1. Not many people talk about this gene. I did not talk about this gene in my book. Um, but you need to understand that this gene increases the risk of fatty liver by 70 times, hmm. seven zero. So if you are homozygous for this dirty gene of MTHFD1, then your risk for fatty liver goes up 70 times compared to someone who does not have that dirty gene born dirty. So <laughs> yours truly, me, am homozygous for this. And I'm also a compound heterozygous, meaning I have one bad copy of MTHFR or slow copy, I shouldn't say bad, and another copy from my, my mom. So I have a very slow MTHFD1 and a very slow MTHFR, which means my folate cycle is very slow and my methylation cycle is slow. So 85% of our methylation occurs in our liver. And if we cannot process things very well and our liver gets sick, then we get fatty liver. And fatty liver is not easily diagnosable. Um, it's more symptomatic. And it's mainly lifestyle changes that fixes it because there's no cure. There's no medicine for it. They're trying, but there's no pharmaceutical medicine for it. And the number one recommendation for me for fatty liver is one, to support your liver. Don't eat so much. Do intermittent fasting. Use glutathione. And uh, basically don't eat too much and avoid corn syrup. Big time. And, and coffee enemas. <laughs> yeah, coffee enemas those are, are Yeah, those are those are surprising. You know, they're they're weird. It's like, you know, I thought you had drunk coffee. Well, yeah, you, you can. Um, but coffee enemas do show uh, a lot of promise for supporting and, and moving the stuck bile out of the gallbladder. So they're they're really good for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of those for detoxification mm. and great for fatty liver. And yeah. so so you have a book coming out called Dirty Genes. 
And so tell us a little bit about what someone can expect um, when they read your book. What, what, tell us some little tidbits in there. Yeah, so what someone will expect when they read Dirty Jeans, number one is, is empowerment and hope and excitement. And I, I recently asked uh, a group of, of individuals who got Dirty Jeans early and I had them on a call, and I, I asked them what, their, what the benefit, you know, what the good parts of dirty jeans were, and what the negatives were. And one lady, for the negative, she goes, "Well, I'll tell you what one negative was." And it happened to me every single chapter. Every chapter, I wanted to call ten friends and say, "This is what's wrong with you," and then I can help you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I thought that was really cool because it it explains the why behind so many things. Because, you know, there's a lot of books on weight loss and detoxification and Hashimoto's and whatever XYZ condition you want to name it. But there's no real book that's describing these things at the genetic level and a plethora of them. So Dirty Genes teaches you how your body works and it shows you at the genetic level of what can happen when these genes are not working right. And then it tells you how to fix them yourself. And then it gives you a quiz to see if your genes are working right or not and which ones are a bit sluggish. And then you go through a program to clean them up and then you take a quiz again, a different one, a more extensive one. Mm -hmm. And then you're specifically directed towards really cleaning up that particular gene, but in a certain order. And it's you're, you're basically really identifying the cause of your condition really at the genetic level. And these seven genes that I talk about are, there's main requirements for them to be in the book because there's 19,000 genes in the body. And I reduce it to seven in the book. So how is that useful? Well, every gene that's in the book, if one of them is dirty, you're guaranteed to have multiple symptoms. And we've already talked about a few here, Wendy, right? Mm -hmm. a, a COMT is dirty. You've got PMS, you have irritability, you've got high estrogen, uh, you've got estrogen sensitive cancers, you've got glutathione issues, now you're sensitive to chemicals in the environment. That's just a few. And we got others. Fatty liver is another one. So, and then you go through it and you can take care of yourself, the basics. And let's say you do the second quiz and you've improved, say, 30%. You're not all the way there, right? You've improved quite a bit, but not so much. And you're not too happy about it. Well, there's a whole appendix in the back of the book that is directing you towards which labs you should order or show your doctor for really diving deeper. And then if you do that with your doctor, you'll really accelerate because I've shown you which test to order, why and which markers are out of whack and how to support them. Yeah, that's fantastic because there's a lot of confusion out there about genetics, about genetic testing. Um, you know, there's a, a wide scope of how genes can be interpreted. Um, are, is, what is your take on, you know, the, the, the viability of some of the genetic tests out there, mm. like say the 23andMe, what, what is your preferred genetics test route? Like what kind of test do you like? Man, that's a, that's a great question, Wendy. I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't like any of them right now. I, I mean, I, I, I like them. They still serve a purpose, but what I don't like about genetic testing is how people are receiving them and thinking what next steps they take. Because what happens is when you get your genetic results back, the, you know, you, you, let, me, let me show you something real quick here. You get your genetic test back and you, you get this, right? Yeah. 
you get all that. And the, you see the red and you're thinking, well, now what do I do? That looks bad to me and looks like I'm in trouble. So number one, you get your results back. The immediate thing is fear. Yeah. So, and then you react because you're scared and you're focusing on this one particular thing. And in this individual, it's a red Mao A. Yeah. Okay. So you immediately think, oh, that's bad. I'm in trouble. How do I fix? How do I fix this? Because yeah. we think we're broken. So at first it's the mindset shift. You can't fix that. That's your computer, right? So, you know, I've got a MacBook Air in front of me. So I can put garbage on it and make my system not work very well. And, you know, you get PCs. PCs are more hit by viruses, and that's their weak, that's their weak link. So PCs, you can put antivirus. For this individual, they have a, a faster MAUE here, which means they're burning through their serotonin doesn't mean that they are it means they're susceptible to it but there's cool things you can do for that and i talk about those genes and, and dirty genes but basically right now i would say that 23andme is is still the best test to do out there and i would use the less expensive version because i i think their health reports are okay if you're really interested but they're not really useful uh they're not really useful but i i uh then you have to export their raw data into various tools and I developed one called Stratagene, and that's what you just saw there, part of it. But there's diagrams which put them together. Mm. Because we, if you focus on genetic reports and the, and the results, you look at the one gene in isolation versus the whole picture. Yeah. And that's where the concept of dirty genes came from. Because when I first started, I was doing that. I saw that I was MTHFR, and I tried to fix my MTHFR. And I took methylfolate, and I got a splitting, horrible migraine. And I was like, well, I have MTHFR, I should be taking methylfolate. Uh, not necessarily. So in Dirty Genes, with the book, there's no lab testing required. There's no genetic testing required. There's quizzes that you take. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm asking you specific questions that show how your genes are responding right now, real time for you. Mm. Okay. So there's no testing required. That's the really cool thing about it. And is that some of the, the drawbacks of testing like 23andMe or running them through an app to, to spit out certain kinds of data? Um, are you saying yeah. that some of the problems with these tests is that um, they don't factor in epigenetics, like whether that gene is expressing currently or not, that they're kind of static and maybe you're, you're not, uh, it's not a, a death sentence, so to speak, if you're, uh, you know, a double homozygous. Right. Um, that that your genes can change. They could be manipulated, and um, if you change your diet and lifestyle and detox, and they could express more positively. Exactly. So, for example, so we talked about CONT, right? So, if you look at this individual, their CONT is minus minus, right? Mm -hmm. See that? So you look at that, you're like, oh, I don't have a problem there. So that's what people think. But this this is how you're born. But you can still have a problem there, like you said, through epigenetics, through your lifestyle choices. Even though you're CMT minus minus and you know, typical of the population, it can still be dirty. You're still susceptible to estrogen-sensitive cancers. You still can have PMS, even though this gene is supposedly working faster, you can dirty it through your lifestyle actions. So that's the that's the biggest problem with genetic testing, is they look at that and they're like, oh, that gene is fine. I'm born fine there. You buy a new computer, it can still break. You can still put a virus on it, right? So we, we have to have that mindset that 
yeah, these genes change their function based upon what we choose. And the, the real unfortunate thing, Wendy, is we are all consumers and there's many, many businesses out there that prey upon that and they also prey upon fear. So genetic testing, there's a lot of fear involved and they promise a solution. And so if you have a certain genetic problem, they, they tell you that, oh, you got to take these supplements to fix this particular gene. And they completely ignore if that person even has any problems in that particular gene. doesn't matter. They just recommend you supplements. So then you, you willingly pay $300 for six supplements because you want to fix that problem and you think you can. Well, you just lost 300 bucks because you're not going to fix it that way. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's, that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. In my genetic report, there is no supplement recommendations, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's great because we know that, you know, if someone has a problem with, uh, so you have a methylation pathway. If you have a problem, say up here, uh, you know, like upstream in the methylation pathway that could be causing problems down here, you can't just fix the problem down below. You have to right. be, you have to, there's lots of different things that can affect uh, the pathways up above. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's very simple. If you know, if, if you have a glass of water, or let's say a cup of coffee at your at the restaurant, and the waitress comes over and asks if you'd like some more and you say yes, please, and they fill it up. And you take a few sips, and you put it down and she, and she comes back within 10 minutes, and she fills it up and then she just spills it all over the counter. Right? So there's, there's, you have to have the genes working everywhere and not just the one particular gene yourself. You weren't drinking that coffee fast enough. She filled it and made a mess. Mm -hmm. So you were the downstream gene and the coffee was the upstream gene. And so she overflowed it and caused and that overflow is symptoms. Yeah. So you, you have to see what's filling up your cup and you have to work with all of them. And the, the dirty genes, I picked these seven genes because these seven genes work in major, major body systems. So I've covered all the major body systems. And so when you clean them all up, you've essentially cleaned up all your major body systems at the same time. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing too. And, and, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's too much confusion out there and it's, it's needs to get cleaned up. Yeah. Let's talk about some more symptoms that, so that people can kind of relate what we're talking about to their symptoms. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about chemical sensitivity. Uh, this okay. is a problem with a lot of people. So you, a lady walks past you with perfume and you just instantly will get a headache. Um, so what is that caused by? Well, that's caused by a lot. So it's basically, you know, your, your entire system is, is not working well. You're not able to get rid of the chemicals or the toxins faster than they're coming in. So you become chemically sensitive at the slightest whiff. So basically you're so slow in being able to process these chemicals out that the next insult will set you on the floor again. And it's a whole slew of combinations. You can have concurrent infections. You could have not be deep sleeping. <clears throat> your diet could be not conducive towards supporting your body and, and healing because these genes they require nutrients. I mean, you know, you look at MTHFR, it requires vitamin B2 in order to run. If you're not eating foods containing vitamin B2, MTHFR, whether you have a genetic problem there or not, it's dirty and it's not working. So you, your body needs these nutritional components. And anytime we have insults, 
our body has to respond to those. And the more insults you've had throughout your life and you're not dealing with them, you're going to get dirty. Imagine that if you, if you cook uh, oatmeal and you slightly burned it on the, on while you were cooking, cause you walked away and took care of a, of a kid. You're like, Oh crap. I left it on the stove. Now you burn the bottom and it's, it's harder for you to clean. Whereas if you, and so, and if you left it overnight, it's going to be even harder to clean. So if you have an insult, you need to address it right away. If you don't, that gene's dirty. And so you get another insult. It's dirtier. And then they're dirtier. So it's an accumulation of life and you not taking a time out and saying, okay, I need to fix this. And there are certain genes which, you know, allow us and, well, push us to keep contributing uh, or to keep pushing in life. Like COMT is, if it's slower, we have higher dopamine, higher norepinephrine levels, and we go, 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 go. And that added stress will put a burden on our body. And then if we get a chemical exposure, we're become sensitive to that. So are, is it that we're sensitive to the chemicals in the environment? So is it always chemically, is it always having genes to do with detox that predisposes to chemical sensitivity? Or is it stress, which made our whole system weaker, which made these other detox genes weaker? It's all together. So it's, it's multifaceted. And the body is harmonious and beautiful and how it works and has multiple routes to fix these things. So, yeah, there are absolutely genes which um, are not working right for moving out chemicals. But there's also genes which push us to work harder, which push us not to sleep well, which push us to make uh, poorer decisions with food. And you know, then, then we get more susceptible to chemical sensitivity. So, but in short to target one particular gene. There's a glutathione transferase gene that I discussed in Dirty Genes. Yeah. And its job is to bind chemicals and to get them out. Yeah. So if your glutathione transferase gene is, is slowed down or deleted, gone, then your ability to take arsenic and get rid of it is slowed down. And you're, as a result, your arsenic accumulates. And that, then that arsenic goes around and it slows down a bunch of other genes. Yeah. And those other genes might be getting rid of other chemicals for you. Now they're slowed down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a multi-step process. And then also mercury is involved with this gene. Mm-hmm. So that's one gene. And so, yeah, so that a specific answer for you, glutathione transferase gene is a, is a really big one. So you're talking about GPX, correct? GST. GST. Yeah. And- GPX is a gluth- is a hydrogen peroxide. So if you have early onset graying hair, uh, that's a, a sign that your GPX is dirty. One uh, of them, and yes. chemical sensitivity too. Yeah. So there's a, there there's a what's the significance of the difference of the GST SNPs and the variants like theta one, p one, and mu, et cetera, as far as glutathione transferase, uh, which is involved in you know, bonding glutathione or different molecules. So if you have a deletion in mu, do you have a decreased a decreased ability to detox arsenic? You know, I don't know which one is uh, specific GST. They're super confusing. And the research is contradictory a bit. And we spent a lot of time differentiating between the different GSTs, you know, mu and pi and theta and all the other ones. But just simply know that some GSTs, mu, let's hypothetically, I don't know, but let's say GST mu's job is to process arsenic. And GST theta's job is to process mercury. So I don't know. And again, it's conflicting. And then they process a bunch of medications. 
and of, you know, other chemicals in the environment. And so and on strategy, you know, we have a whole paragraph. I don't think this individual has a GST one. No, we don't. So this one here, you know, you can see GST P1 mm-hmm. is what we tested for for this individual. Um, but they, I don't, I don't, but we have a bibliography which explains more of which they do. So, and also there's benefits to these SNPs. So sometimes you want the gene to work more slowly because if you take a medication and glutathione binds the medication, it actually make it more toxic, not less. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it all depends. The, the biomechanics can get really tricky really fast. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about insomnia. So that's a problem a lot of people are having. Um, how do genes relate or promote insomnia? Great question. And yeah, this is a big one. So there's two real big players with insomnia. And we have to define which type of insomnia. Is insomnia that where you can't fall asleep at night and you're staring at the ceiling? Or is insomnia where you fall asleep just fine but you wake up early and now you're staring at the ceiling halfway through the night, right? And you can't fall back asleep. So the the genes which really predispose us to not being able to fall asleep at night are genes which process our excitatory neurotransmitters in our brain. And these neurotransmitters that are excitatory that allow us to focus right now, you know, for this video, for example, are dopamine, norepinephrine. Okay. So these are really important. Also histamine. Histamine is also a neurotransmitter. We don't think about that, but it's, 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 is it a neurotransmitter or is it a signal to stimulate neurotransmitters? The research is out on that too, but regardless, it's stimulating. So if our genes for dopamine, norepinephrine, and histamine are slow, then these chemicals in our brain stick around longer, right? So we need to make that gene work a little bit faster. And if you're born with a slightly slower variant in these particular genes, and many, many people are, then you might be staring at the ceiling. And I've had my kids' friends come over, and the parents say, you know, you have to give my son melatonin uh, because otherwise he won't sleep. And um, so, you know, parents know this. And I'll walk in there sometimes, and I'll see my kids just flat out staring at the ceiling. And what's up? And, you know, they'll say, Dad, I didn't sleep all night. So I've learned that what you can do then is genes require, genes produce, they do work, and they do work by producing enzymes. And the enzymes require cofactors, and cofactors require vitamins and minerals, typically. So if you give particular vitamins and minerals to speed up these slower genes, because Dr. Bruce Ames has researched this, he found that if you have a gene that's slightly slower, if you give it the vitamin and mineral it needs as a cofactor, you can speed it up, which is really cool. And so this is kind of the premise behind orthomolecular medicine. So with COMT, if it's slower in these individuals, they'll be staring at the ceiling. How many women are magnesium deficient, Wendy? 80%. Yeah. And the cofactor for COMT, one of them is magnesium. Yeah. So if your magnesium levels are low, you're staring at the ceiling and you're not falling asleep. Yeah. Also, the other cofactor for COMT has to do with methylation. It's your body's number one methyl donor, which is SAMe. SAMe gets it's not easy to make. It's very, very difficult to make. You need enough B12. How many people are deficient in that? You need a bunch of methylfolate. How many people are different deficient in that? You need to have normal levels of homocysteine, not high. Tons of people have high homocysteine. So you know, making SAMe is difficult. 
So I find that if people take magnesium and SAME, if their methylation is working well, they fall asleep within 20 minutes. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. And, and if you have a slower COMT, that means you have higher dopamine levels and higher norepinephrine levels. Well, what amino acid is the building block for dopamine and norepinephrine? Tyrosine. Mm -hmm. Tyrosine comes from what? Protein. So if you basically don't eat protein for dinner or very little of it, then you are not producing that much dopamine and norepinephrine. So you reduce your protein intake at night and you should sleep longer or you fall asleep better, yeah. which is really cool. That's just one instance. Yeah, so that's a really good examples, and it's incredibly important to take magnesium every single day because you need it mm -hmm. for your genes to function, your enzyme sites to be working, and just need it for so many different things. And this is something a lot of the women listening are going to want to hear about. Uh, what are some of the genes that promote early graying of hair? <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, again, you know, I've drawn a lot of pathways over the years, you know, biochemical pathways. I geek out. I mean, I, I, for me, these are, these are a lot of fun, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll draw these things and I'll totally geek out. I've got sketches all over my table here. And I'll tell you, Wendy, that it comes back to stress. It comes back to stress. And we know that. And stress is such a cop-out word, as Dr. Jillian uh, Tita said, that uh, it's, but we, it really is, comes down to stress. So but direct to directly answer this, which I tend not to do, uh, is glutathione peroxidase. So there's a gene called glutathione peroxidase, and its job is to get rid of hydrogen peroxide. And ACE means an enzyme. So if you see ASE after the, a word in science, it usually has to do with an enzyme. So glutathione peroxide ACE. So this is a gene that chomps up the hydrogen peroxide with the help of glutathione and it turns it into water. Now, I don't know if when you're a kid, but you know, I had family members trying to bleach their hair and they use hydrogen peroxide. So hydrogen peroxide will whiten your hair. And if I pour hydrogen peroxide in the shirt, it'll turn it, you know, gray or white as well. So if your GPX gene is dirty, you can have early graying of hair. And when you're stressed out, you're, breaking down serotonin and norepinephrine and epinephrine. And when you're breaking these down, these same genes, which break these uh, neurotransmitters down as a result, they release a ton of hydrogen peroxide, a ton. So that gets in your brain, it gets in your body and your glutathione gets depleted and you get early graying in the hair. How many times have you seen super, super, super stressed out people or you've heard stories about it where you see them are like, whoa, you aged in the last year, or you see them, you don't want to say anything, you don't want to be rude, but like, God, last time I saw you, you were fine, and now you've got like gray everywhere. We can see that yeah. in our presidents from uh, Clinton yes. at the beginning of his administration to the end, Obama, same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think the residents of America are going to get early graying of hair from the presidents. <laughs> My feelings, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can always laugh. Because um, <laughs> laughter is actually the best medicine, right? Because we talk yes. about stress. So you yeah, got to laugh. You got to smile. Sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about food sensitivities. So this is something that affects a lot of people. And some people can be even down to just being able to eat five foods. I have some clients coming to me that's just, uh, it's just sad. 
uh, to see they're they've just are, are so limited in the foods that they can tolerate. So let's talk a little about some of the dirty genes that can promote food sensitivities. Well, there's a really, really big one in the gut, a really big one. And we always talk about gut health and you hear it said all the time. It's like, oh, you got leaky gut or you need to fix your gut or you need to heal your gut or you got leaky gut syndrome. And so you, you hear this all the time and people get sick of that. It's like saying the word you're stressed out, you need to calm down. Are you reacting to foods? You got leaky gut, you need to fix your gut. So it, again, it's that cop out. Well, being reactive to foods does tell you that you are you know, having experience and experiencing leaky gut syndrome, but leaky gut is caused by multiple things, uh, infection, stress, lack of nutrients to repair your gut lining because your gut lining is regenerated every seven days, which is amazing if you think about it. So you need sufficient folate for that. So your MTHFR gene needs to be working well and getting sufficient folate so you can repair the cells in your gut. And so your gut lining is intact, but that's not that's that's important. That'll help prevent and heal your gut. And I have MTHFR, so my gut healing was slower and I struggled from it. I will continue to struggle from it if I don't take care of myself. But there's another, there's an even bigger one. And this gene is called DAO. The official name is AOC1, but everyone calls it DAO. And its job is to process histamine from your food, from your drink, so anything that you take in and swallow through your mouth, and also histamine that's produced by your microbiome. So any histamine that is outside the cell is processed by DAO. And this gene can get born dirty, definitely. So my wife has a dirty DAO. And the rest of our family, not so bad. Um, and But the amazing thing is this gene can get dirty very, very easily. And if you get food poisoning, right, you have explosive diarrhea, well, that's massive amounts of histamine to bring in a bunch of water to get it out. But histamine to high levels can also puncture and increase holes in your gut. So and it can all, you can also get reactions from the food. You can get headaches. You can get migraines. You can get insomnia. You can get irritable. You can get hot. You can, an easy way to check if you're high histamine is to take your fingernails and scratch yourself. That's simple. So I just scratched myself pretty hard. And I used to have raised red lines down my arm. Nothing now. Nothing at all. It hurts. Uh, it's a little bit, actually. You can see it's actually a little bit red there now. See that? Don't, so my hurt, his, don't hurt yourself, Dr. Lynch. Yeah. But <laughs> no, yesterday or two days ago, I did that. Yeah. And I had no problem at all. It wasn't red at all. That's very slightly red. But two days ago, I had nothing. But last night, I went to bed late. Went to bed at one in the morning and I woke up at six this morning because there's so much work going on. And so I dirtied my genes and I increased histamine. And so that's a sign that I'm a little bit dirtier than I need to be, than I should be. So this DAO gene, if you have a gut infection, you have to find it. If you're taking certain probiotics that are histamine producing, you know, not every probiotic is for everyone. So there's some probiotics that really can produce histamine like lactobacillus bulgaricus or lactobacillus acidophilus. These can produce histamine. And there's others as well. Bifidobacter bacteria do not produce histamine. In fact, they can eat up the histamine in your gut. So if you have high lactobacillus and you have low bifido and you have a gut infection and you're drinking wine, eating cheese, and eating high histamine foods, you're going to be struggling with all these high histamine problems, especially if you have leaky gut. 
So, and then you're, what you're doing is you're cutting and eliminating all these high histamine foods because you find this out. You're like, oh yeah, I need to reduce the, my histamine bucket. So I'm just not going to eat any of these histamine containing foods. Now your menu choice has gone from super wide to super low and you're totally stressed out because now you have no, no variety in your diet. Now you're also getting more nutritionally deficient because you're not eating a variety of foods and now you're getting stressed out about it and you're getting more tired. Now you're getting even more leaky gut because you're not nourishing your gut with the food, wide variety of foods. Mm. And uh, Yasmina Elkenstam of healinghistamine.com had a beautiful transition and her website called used to be called the low histamine chef and which means how to cook with low histamine containing foods. And eventually she said, you know what? That's not, that's not the solution. Eliminating histamine from my life is not the solution. The solution is healing histamine, which is why she renamed her website healinghistamine.com. And that, that transition is a huge one. And I hope you caught that because she healed her body, reduced her stress. And, you know, I, I had stress a bit yesterday because I didn't sleep well. And as a result, my histamine levels go up and stress is a huge one. But yeah, so supporting your gut, fighting infections, um, using the right probiotics, reducing histamine-tamed food strengths is a huge one for, for this gene in your body. So let's talk about some of the genes that interfere in detoxification. So what SNPs interfere in de- detoxification? Well, there's there's a whole slew of one, of them, and big ones are cytochrome P450s. So cytochrome P450s, there's there's probably, God, I'm going to venture to say a thousand significant SNPs found in the cytochrome P450s alone, and they will speed the gene up, they'll slow it down, and uh, they'll might even be deleted and gone and not working at all, and so. These genes, if your cytochrome P450s, which is the step one of detoxification in your liver, if your cytochrome P450s detox are working fast and producing all these chemicals, you know, they're, they're taking a chemical and they're turning it into something else so your body can get rid of it. But a lot of these chemicals have to be transformed. So if the P450s are working really fast and your glutathione genes of GST and GPX are working slowly, you get sick. Period. Period. You need to make sure that your phase two detoxification is working faster than your phase one. And I can't tell you how many times, Wendy, I saw a lot. I see, still see a lot of detoxification formulas sold by many reputable supplement companies that push phase one detox and they push, they provide the cofactors for these genes, but they don't support the sulfur downstream of phase two. And they also don't encourage bowel elimination and, uh, you know, like phase three of getting the stuff out, you know, through your kidneys and such and your lymph. So these, there's many, many genes and I'm working on a detoxification pathway. It's far from done. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a big one. And, uh, there's a lot of nuances with this. And what I will say is Tylenol should not be in any home in this house. I agree or with in, you. In the world. I agree with you. It's, a, it's just terrible, terrible things yeah. to the body. I mean, I heard it's like Dr. Jared Scouron said a ridiculous statistics, like 50 million uh, doses a day 
of Tylenol are consumed mm -hmm. a day. And one dose of Tylenol will deplete your glutathione. And we're giving it to kids post-vaccines. And we're giving it to ourselves when we have fevers or sick. And we need the glutathione during these times really, really, really badly. And so if you have glutathione deficient genes already and you insult the body with a medication as strong as Tylenol, you are making yourself even sicker. Yeah. So do not use Tylenol, period. Yeah, I know there's some studies that are showing that uh, the post, you know, giving Tylenol post-vaccination is actually that link between what's promoting autism in children because they can't protect themselves from the toxic insult that's in vaccines and nanonized aluminum and other adjuvants and vaccines. Right. And that's really the, that link there. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, GST. So if you have a compromised GST that can lead to higher metal accumulation, can you talk a little about that? Yeah. So GST is a, is a gene whose, whose job is to, to bind to various metals and other things. I mean, in medications too, and to transform them so we can pee them out. And so if your GST is not working very well, these metals accumulate. So for example, GST should bind to arsenic, transform it, and then carry it basically out of the body. And if it can't do that, if you have arsenic, and we all have arsenic, every single one of us have higher arsenic levels everywhere. Dr. Joe Pizzorno in his book, The Toxin Solution, is screaming that people need to be testing their arsenic levels. And the best way to test your arsenic levels, I had no idea. Toenails. Mm. It's like, interesting. Urinary arsenic, half-life is too fast. You're going to miss it. Blood your, uh, arsenic, maybe, but toenail is the best long-term storage marker for that. But regardless, um, if your GST genes are not pulling out these heavy metals for you, they're accumulating. That's the bottom line. And what happens then is that arsenic and the mercury and all these other metals will bind to all these other genes and slow them down. Because we have 19,000 other genes in our body, but if our glutathione transferase, our GST gene isn't working and pulling these metals out, all these other genes in our body are slowing down and becoming dysfunctional, yeah. all of them, because they're interfering with their function. So if I spilled a bunch of honey and peanut butter all over my fingers and you told me to type 50 words a minute, I wouldn't be able to do it. So just imagine the mercury and the other heavy metals are like putting honey and peanut butter all over your, your GST genes and the rest of your genes. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not conducive towards health. Yeah. Let's talk about MTHFR. So that's, you know, a big buzzword. Everyone's thinking of that when they think of genetic testing and you go to some medical doctors are only testing MTHFR, which is kind of hilarious. So, um, so MTHFR leads to methylation production. And if it's low, you get low glutathione production. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So we, you know, we have to understand what MTHFR's job is for, so the gene MTHFR, his job is to make the enzyme of MTHFR, and then that enzyme will take and will make the body's number one form of folate. So everybody hears about folic acid, and they think that they have to take folic acid. So that's like Tylenol. <laughs> Two main things to throw out of your house. Uh, folic acid-containing supplementation and folic acid-processed foods is another one. Ideally, you can have some, but let's you know try to minimize it. And then Tylenol. Get rid of those out of here. You know, just gone. So MTHFR makes methylfolate. And 80% of your folate in your body should be methylfolate. And do you hear that? Methyl 
folate supports your methylation. And a quick marker to see if your methylation is not working well is to look at your homocysteine. Because homocysteine is, it needs the methyl group. Once homocysteine is methylated, it's not as toxic as it normally is. So you methylate the homocysteine by putting the methyl from the methylfolate onto it and the methyl from the methylcobalamin, which is vitamin B12. So it gets kind of double methylated and then it becomes methionine, which is methyl homocysteine. So if your MTHFR isn't working right, then you get lower levels of methylfolate, higher levels of, meth of homocysteine, and higher levels of homocysteine will run around just like the heavy metals do, wreaking havoc all over your body, causing what's called homocystinylation. And homocystinylation will actually ruin your glutathione as well. It will bind to your glutathione and destroy it. It will bind to your neurotransmitters and break them. So it's, it's toxic stuff, and it will cause seizures and a bunch of other things. And there's a product, nobody talks about this, but there's another gene called PON1, which helps prevent homocysteine from becoming homocysteine thiolactone. And there was a gentleman who had a polymorphism, a strong, strong SNP in PON1, which slowed his ability to get rid of homocysteine thiolactone. And research shows that if you have higher levels of homocysteine thiolactone, you get seizures. Well, this guy was having like 30, 40 seizures a day. And I was saying, how do I fix this? And so I found this one medication, the name escapes to me at the moment, but uh, I put him on this med because that's the only thing I could. It would help lower homocysteine thiolactone. Seizures, gone. Mm. I mean, gone. It was amazing. And uh, so that's the cool thing about understanding biochemistry in our, you know, in our own bodies because this guy was struggling for a long time with these seizures. It was really scary for him. But yeah, MTHFR's job, I call it the methylation master because its job is to support methylation. And if your methylation's messed up, you have 200 plus other genes that are messed up. So just because, you know, you read the research on MTHFR and some papers will say, yeah, it's associated with this. And some people say, yeah, no, nah, not really. No, it's not. But it's, you just need to understand its job is to make methylfolate. And if you're not eating enough leafy greens or you're consuming a bunch of folic acid, your MTHFR is dirty because you're not getting good folates. So I want to ask you one last question. It's just a personal question. Um, you know, I do a lot of metals testing with clients and you have many options. You can do hair mineral analysis or urine DMSA challenge tests. Um, but not everyone can do a urine DMSA challenge test because of DMSA sensitivity reactions. That's why mm. I first start with a hair mineral analysis. So, um, so was, is there a genetic basis for DMSA sensitivity reactions which some people can have when trying to do metals tests. So we know it may involve the SULT genes, but are there other genes that may be involved? And, you know, why do some people get these reactions from very low amounts of DMSA while others do not? Yeah, great question. This is a great question. I, and, you know, I, I saw this in clinic all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I specialized in, in environmental medicine. I, I love it. I think it's a phenomenal modality. It's, we should all be specialists in environmental medicine. And, you know, we gave DMSA to patients and some patients tolerate just fine. And some patients, like you said, just got red rash all over their chest. They got horrible headaches. They got nose bleeding. They got itchy skin. They had difficulty breathing. Uh, they got irritable um, They had horrible gas um, that just reeked. And, um, you know, it, it, it was just the, 
my colleagues were like, oh, you're just detoxing. It's fine. And I was like, eh, no, no, not right. So what DMSA is, it's a sulfur-based compound. And when you give a sulfur-based compound, the body will process it. And so DMSA has a half-life of what, four hours? And so every four hours, you know, half of that DMSA is gone and it just doesn't disappear on its own. It has to go through different genes, right? I mean, that's how it's gone. It doesn't just go through pipes and leave us. Um, the genes have to do the work. And so there's a really, really big one. You, you talked about the sulfotransferase genes, which are, you're right, are big. Um, but these salt genes, they're very important for sulfur metabolism, but they play a really minor role in sulfur metabolism because they're easily saturated. So the next step for, for that is glucuronidation pathway. And glucuronidation pathway is, can be also overwhelmed in people who have gut issues, right? So if you, again, back to leaky gut issues or infections in the gut, and you have glucuronidase enzymes not working as well or on high, high speed, what have you, then you know looking at calcium deglucurate as a supplement to help also get rid of these sulfur-based uh, compounds will also help because so, sulfur transferase enzymes are easily saturated and overwhelmed. They can't handle it. Um, and DMSA, you typically give, you know, some pretty high bolus doses, especially when you're challenging. Um, now, and there's another one called SUOX, S-U-O-X. And SUOX uh, job is that's sulfite oxidase. There's that ASE again. So its job is to get rid of sulfites and turn the sulfites into sulfate. And once that happens, your body will pee out the sulfate. So these sulfur test strips that people have to see if they're peeing out sulfur and all that, I think they're a bunch of nonsense, um, personally, because it's a protective mechanism that's designed by your body to get rid of excess sulfate for various reasons. Um, and you need the cofactor for SUOX, the vitamin and minerals, right? Remember, we need vitamins and minerals for these genes to work. You need the mineral molybdenum. And that's a hard word to say, but yeah. M-O-L-Y-B-D-N-U-M. Yeah, so, I like to say people just need Momo. That's yeah, Momo. <laughs> yeah, use, use Molly B. <laughs> yeah. It's a Molly B. Yeah. And, you know, 75 micrograms to 500 micrograms of Molly B can change your life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, really, if, if, if you smell, uh, you know, if you have flatulence that will just reek like sulfur and just horrific odor, you know, you've got possibly hydrogen sulfide containing bacteria in your gut. And then you take DMSA, which is also feeding this hydrogen sulfide bacteria, plus your SUOX is lacking molybdenum, and your salt enzymes are polymorphic and snipped out, and your glucuronidation pathway is overwhelmed from gut infections, you're absolutely going to be reacting to DMSA. And doctors don't know a tenth of what you and I just talked about. Yeah. 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 So, so Dr. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your insights and your, your intellect and your sharing your vast knowledge about genetics in relation to detoxification with us. Tell us more about where we can get your book, Dirty Genes, and where we can find you. Yeah. Thanks for that. So Dirty Genes is available anywhere books are sold starting January 30th. And it's available now on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, IndieBound Books, uh, and others. So just go to Amazon and type Dirty Jeans and it'll pop up there. Uh, or you can go to dirtyjeans.com and go to Books A Million or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to shop online, and you can reserve your copy there. And it's, it's, uh, it's top in the charts, so I'm really excited to see that. And 
it's I'm really excited to see that because I know this book is going to help a lot of people. It's a tremendous guide. You know, it's not a book that you curl up next to the fire and, you know, read a, a nice romantic novel. You know, this is <laughs> this is a this is a meaty book yeah. that, you know, you'll you'll read a chapter and you're like, wow, that was dense, but easy to read, but still dense. And it, it's going to shift your mindset so much about symptomatology and what's going on with your body. And it's going to start answering questions. Oh, that explains why I feel like that. Oh, that explains my brother. Oh my God, I got to get on the phone. <laughs> yeah. So it's really cool. It explains the why behind so many things. So it's a lot of fun. You'll, you'll have a ton of fun with it. Yeah. And everyone, please buy a copy and give it to your doctor because mm. I am just embarrassed for the conventional mainstream medical community that how they don't even look at genetics at all when working with their patients or even running genetic tests yeah. to see what medications their body can even handle. I mean, it's just so far behind mainstream medicine um, when it comes to genetics. So not everyone, but just uh, the vast majority of people practicing just don't know anything about it. Well, and they don't know anything about how nutrition plays a role in how our bodies function. I mean, we have genes and they know we all have genes, but the doctors forgot somehow, I don't know how, because they were taught biochemistry just like I was, and physiology. But in order for genes to produce enzymes and enzymes to do work, you need cofactors. You need vitamins and minerals. You don't need pharmaceutical one, two, and three. You need vitamins and minerals and real food. So, you know, the, the doctors need to understand this. And the cool thing about dirty genes is a, there's a whole appendix, like we said earlier, of various labs based you know, on each specific gene that you have in, you know, the seven genes. And so the doctor will quickly see, oh yeah, that lab is good. And, or this lab is supportive for that. And this is what lab I should order it from. Both are there. And if your doctor is a skeptic, which is totally fine to be skeptical, as long as you have an open mind towards it, there's a full bibliography in the back, which is a ton of research for people. So CMT, PMS, and estrogen metabolism, referenced. NOS3 and not breathing properly, open mouth breathing, referenced. MTHFR and folic acid problems, referenced. Okay, so it's cited. You know, this is a very, very scientific book, and uh, they, can't, they can't argue with published studies in PubMed. If they do, well, you know, good luck being a doctor for very long. Yeah, yeah. I think some doctors are just lazy. They mm -hmm. just kind of are comfy in their practice and don't want yes. to learn anything beyond That's right. uh, what they were taught because they, they don't make any more money uh, from that. They don't. And yeah. it's it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to learn new things. And it's, you know, they get 50% of their patient population a bit better. And that's good enough for them. You yeah. know, that's not good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And you're one of the speakers on the Heavy Metals uh, on the Heavy yes. Metal Summit. And so excited to have you on talking about dirty genes and how they affect detoxification. This little example of what you talked about, a little snippet of what you talked about on the Heavy Metals Summit. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Yeah, my pleasure. I look forward to tuning in some of those talks as well. Thank yes. you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on.